Welcome to Lawler Out Loud, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Christy Lawler, and this podcast focuses on highlighting the amazing men and women that make a difference in our world. And we hope to prove that every single person has the power to make a difference and make an impact. Today's guest is Daniel Singer. So first, let me thank you, Daniel, for joining us, sharing your story, your brand story, your experiences, and all of your ideas. Christy, lovely to connect with you. I'm really excited, really, really excited. I always love you. Always nice to see you when we get to meet in person. And so it's nice to have a chat in, uh, in this format. So thank you. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll get to meet again in person. Indeed, we will. Of course, of course. (laughs) This is painful. Sticking at home all the time. Um, Yeah, I I just, I want to learn more about you because I've known you for a few years, Mm. but more of like uh, as a business acquaintance that I really just enjoy being around, but I'm excited to dive into you and understand why I just like you without really knowing you (laughs) like that is a point of curiosity for me um I feel like we we get along very well but we don't know that much about each other so no I would love for you to just dive right into your personal story and this can be your childhood or your education what you're doing now which is obviously why you're on the podcast um, but what would you like to share? Well, I think I think we like each other in person because we always bring our most authentic selves. There's never any bullshit, right? Yeah. So I think in, yeah. in a way we just we're very present, and and so that's why when we connect, we're not thinking about other things or doing other things. We just sort of engage with each other in a way that's so immediate. So that's why I think we like each other. I mean, from a from a background standpoint, I have to sort of look back and say what really defines me and as a kid um well I am very dyslexic so um yeah I'm incredibly dyslexic so that meant that as a little boy I never really got any information from books and always felt like I was doing really terribly in in school and so um when you are dyslexic you have to become a really good listener because that's how you get all your information you read people you you listen you feel stuff and I think you know I have a my youngest daughter is uh, she's very dyslexic and I'm watching her evolve and she's very empathetic and very sensitive and so as a little person maybe you think oh that's a bit of a weakness and then as you grow older you realize it's really a superpower so where one part of your brain doesn't necessarily work properly you have all this other stuff this dyslexic advantage that that enables you to see the world perhaps in a slightly different way so I, I think that was the sort of forming of of everything for me and um I think naturally better when I move and so school wasn't really a good environment for me because you have to sit behind desks all day long so <laughs> right so, yeah. so I move around a lot and then we, we were chatting before about entrepreneurial spirit and being an entrepreneur is innately within me as a little boy I would I would do things that that weren't um, normal for kids my age you know on a Friday night my mum would take a candy jar off of the shelf there's four of us in my family uh, four kids all under four at one point so my brother Mark's, oh god yeah there was a there was four kids under four and then my mum and dad bought a tv and, and that was the end of that but basically um, on a Friday night uh, she would take a candy jar 
down in the kitchen and we could all take one candy you know, at the end of the week. And I would save my candies in a separate jar and then I'd use my pocket money or money I got from chores to buy penny sweets back then. And I would fill up the jar mm-hmm. and then invite all the neighborhood kids over and set up tins in the back uh, backyard. They'd have to pay to come in. And if they threw a oh ball and knocked down the tins, they would earn the the candy that was in the jar, they could choose the candy of their choice. So it, you don't teach a little kid that. That's sort of innately within, yeah. that was innately within me. And, <laughs> and I was always doing stuff like that, uh, you know, navigating outside of the system, I guess. And then as I got older, um, entrepreneurs have this quality, this trait openness, you know, very um, – open to all sorts of experiences, which is the same trait as artists. So at that time in my life, I thought I wanted to be an actor. So as a dyslexic kid, I, I auditioned for the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, which is in London. It's a fantastic uh, drama school. Um, hundreds and hundreds of people auditioned for a very few spaces. Daniel Craig went there and Ewan McGregor and Orlando Bloom oh. and loads of, like, loads of great, great actors. And uh, I, I got into that school and that really changed my life. Um, I learned the keys to language and and uh, just absolutely fell in love with language, got recruited by the Royal Shakespeare Company and toured around doing theatre for five years and, and had That's an, incredible. A, an amazing time, you know, getting to speak that language and be part of an ensemble and tell stories, which I, which I always loved. And then my wife and I, I've been with my wife for 20, 21 years, her and I, uh, had our first child and I was like bloody hell how am I going to support a family earning 200 bucks a week doing theatre so I um, I sort of pivoted at that stage in my life I'd invested in a company out here in the states with a guy I went to school with and phoned him up and said how's our business doing and he said it's doing really badly which is not what you want to hear when you've got a baby on the way and I yeah. came out here and turned that business around and then wow. that sort of began this this chapter of my life of sort of um, finding things, uh, businesses and scaling them. I scaled that business and sold it and then had the idea for Filthy. So that took me onto this part of my life, yeah. What was that business? It was a pickle company. It was a pickle company in Florida. And I said to my wife, you know, the business was doing badly. It was losing money. And I said to her, I think I could turn that business around. And she says, what made you think you can do that? And I said, oh, I've watched... Glen Gary, Glen Ross a few times, you know, always be closing and, <laughs> nice. and you know, trying to, trying to do that. She loves me and, and she, you know, I've always, as I said, been entrepreneurial. So she said, all right, we'll yeah. try it for a year and sort of came out and just with great humility, just asked a lot of questions. Why do you do that like that? Or why does that go there? Or why do you present it in that way? And the answers weren't really very good. And because the business was sort of on its ass, I think everybody was open to me trying some stuff and, Within sort of six months, we turned the business around, took it from being non-profitable to being profitable, took the waste down from 40% waste to less than 5% waste. And if you're a manufacturer, wow. the, the, the waste is really what kills you, you know, in any yeah. in any production, if you're in the kitchen and you're throwing out half the food because uh, yeah. it's not being handled properly or salted properly or, um, you know, there's no discipline around it. Um, you might that's as well your be profit throwing is. the dollars. Yeah, yeah exactly. Throw the dollars in the dumpster out back. Yeah, right? so we just yeah. put a lot of discipline around it and then um, scaled it and got involved in another business which I scaled that was, some ownership was shared. And, and and that began this journey where I get to be sort of creative and at the same time commercial and provide opportunities for my family and, and for the people that come on the journey. So, 
yeah, that's yeah. been that's been the journey up until this point. <laughs> been fun. I, it's a fantastic journey. So, how long has Filthy been a brand? Like, what, what, tell me about that story. Yeah, well, I had scaled this other business and sold it. My brother was a documentary maker, fantastic documentary maker. He made an award-winning documentary called Dark Days about the people that live under New York, the homeless people that live under New York. Mm. And they won lots of awards. And, and he was doing a documentary in Iraq and Afghanistan with special forces in the height of the Iraqi war. And he okay. had come home and he was transitioning, sort of being back back on the ground here in the States. And I was I just sold this business and I was sitting in my car and I sort of pitched him the idea for Filthy. This incredible stuff was happening in the, in the hospitality industry. People were being really conscious of every detail that went into their drink. And olives were always really poor quality, very oily, salty, chemically yeah. cured. They came in big gallons where yes. nobody would bar would go through them before the brine turned rancid. They were just, it was just, nobody took any pride in it. It was awful. And I said to him, like I said, he was coming back from, from being in Iraq. And I said, why don't you come and look at olives with me? I, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity here. And we're relentless human beings. We thought it was going to take us three months, but there are 700 varieties of cultivatable olives on the planet. Oh, and God, we spent the, I had no idea. Yeah, we spent the next two years looking at 230 varieties of olives. And together, like the truth of it is that we grew up 10, you know, we're 10 and a half months apart. So you sort of grow up in each other's pockets. And then we rebelled against each other to sort of find out who we were when the other one wasn't standing next to us. And as an adult, he sort of came back from, from being overseas and I scaled a business and it was like look we love each other because we're brothers but do we like each other you know do we really like each other as adults like do we want to hang out do we want to get to know each other and so we went on this journey and as I said we're both so relentless it wasn't enough to look at 100 varieties or 130 varieties it was like we were 230 varieties in and it was like okay I think we found the perfect variety for cocktails and then just to get geeky for a second you know, olives are a little fruit that hangs on a tree, the same families as peaches and plums, but everybody cures them using chemicals. So they strip that fruit of everything that you love about olive oil. Mm -hmm. They just strip it. So all these commodity guys had to add a lot of salt and oil back into it to give it flavor and texture, which is why you would always get that oil slick on top of your martinis. Mm -hmm. And we said, is there another way to do it? So we naturally cure everything over four months instead of four days with chemicals we just use salt and water to cure the fruit and we came back to the mm. states that was 2007 to 2009 and then 2009 we just started to go around to bars you know i was i was delivering product out the back of my wife's minivan and mark was going on subway trains in new york going to oh, bar to bar you know showing them olives and yeah. the in industry was just so kind to us saying yeah like we appreciate what you guys have done we think it would give our guests a better experience we'll bring you into the bar and we delivered that way for three years until we picked up our first distributor. Wow. So, yeah, definitely that's a labor of love. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But well, entrepreneurship at its core is a labor yeah. of love. Like you're totally. doing it because you want to do it and not because someone's paying you to do it. No. You exactly. figure out a way to make it earn money because you are so, you don't have another, there is no plan B. You're just going to do this. Yeah, And you're going to figure it out and you're exactly. going to make mistakes and you're going to learn along the way. But that's fascinating because every, every entrepreneur that I know that has a brand 
regardless of segment, they have a similar story where they literally did every single detail themselves. Yes. Flying solo, um, selling their product by hand. And that is, you know, and this is not like, you know, 50 years ago. This is recent history. Yeah, exactly. That's not the way business is typically done anymore. And it's very fascinating to me that all of the entrepreneurs that I know have this trait in common where Mm. you just, you, you choose your own path. Yes. And it's not well outlined and it's not well lit, but you just keep going. Yeah, we and always... when you make a mistake, you deviate and then you keep exactly. going down that until you, you know, and it's, but that's part of the excitement of it. Um, exactly. Especially for me, obviously, yeah, no, but I right. think that's an entrepreneurial trait. Like that's what feeds our souls. Exactly. We jump um, and build our wings on the way down. And I think sometimes exactly. you just hit the sidewalk, don't you? And then it's your ability to sort of pick yourself up and brush yourself off and, and try yeah. to find something else to, to, to jump and, and yeah. it's, we never knew that this was going to be our lives. We just went on a journey together to, to sort of get yeah. to know each other as adults. I'd scaled a business, but also, you know, saw an opportunity. And then yeah. you just fall in love with it. And the oldest tree we looked at was was 3,000 years old. It still produces fruit. So if you think about wow. it. Yeah, it's um, honestly. Crap. So an olive tree is amazing. If you don't prune it, it flowers. It's the same family as lilacs or jasmine. It's oh, like okay. a flowering tree. But if, if it hasn't produced fruit for hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years and you trim it, the next year it will give you fruit. So wow. this olive tree that we looked at, I mean, if you think about it, olives, the, the person that we met around, it was in, on the island of Crete. And uh, it's a 3,000 years uh, old tree in, in this area called Vuz. And um, basically they were saying that during the early Olympics, they used the branches to create wreaths you know, to, to represent victory. They would give the victors of the Olympics like an olive yeah. wreath. And then in mm-hmm. biblical times, the branch represented peace. And at that point, you know, we looked at it and we thought, like, there's this one fruit that represents both victory and peace. And people put it in the bottom of their drink, like some orb that doesn't contribute, right? We looked at it at that yeah. point and we were like, actually, it kind of links that drink back to the beginning of civilization. And yeah. then we just all fell in love and that was the end of it then. That, that that's, we, this, that's, really... what, that's how we dedicated yeah. our lives now so we love it yeah oh that's fascinating. yeah we love absolutely it absolutely fascinating oh my god you made me think of a question too but i was so involved in listening <laughs> that i forgot what i was <laughs> <laughs> like the question popped into my head and then escaped at the same time can i ask you um, do you think entrepreneurs are, bo- uh, entrepreneurs are born or do you think they they have no we're born yeah we're born I agree. Totally absolutely because and and to to the point, like my sister, um, she lives in Boston. She loves what she does for a living, but she got furloughed. Mm. And I said, "Well, why have you thought about just starting your own hustle?" Mm. And she's like, "I have zero desire to be an entrepreneur." Yeah, like, yeah, really. And mm. now this is my sister that she, I I I joke that she's like a cat because. No matter what, that girl lands on her feet. I mean, mm. she has, like, she'll she'll fall on the worst of luck and land on her feet. And I'm like, how is this even possible? Like, the rest of us don't experience life this way. No. Like, why is your story so perfect and rosy, and the rest of us have like strife and struggle? Well, I but think I think we're born. We're some of us are not born for a quiet life. 
Like we need that strife and struggle to grow, right? And and we look yeah. for it. We look for that. Yeah. And, and uh, that's the funny thing is, I, I she's definitely faced it. It just seems like hmm. she comes on top easier than I have. I don't hmm. know. I. But it was it was curious to me because I'm like, you know, the people, you know, the players, you have the network, you've got the skill and you've got the gumption. Why yeah. don't you? And she's like, I don't want to work for myself. And I'm no. like, and, and see, in my head, like, I can't I can't even reconcile that response because I'm like, how would you not want to just work for yourself? Do you know what? I think I think I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about this. And my feeling is being an entrepreneur is about your own personal pain threshold. And your ability to handle pain. Yeah. And then as you become, you know, like I said, I'm married. I have, I have three children. It's about the pain threshold of the people around you. Because mm-hmm. we're, I'm not wired to have a stop button. So it doesn't matter how painful or desperate things could be. I'm, I'm fine. I, I, like, I like operating, you know, in that type of way. So you have to be conscious of the people around you or the people that love you. And I think, yeah. you know, it is a, it, it's not for everybody and it shouldn't be for everybody. It's not a badge of honor being an entrepreneur. It's a way of life, isn't it? You're either, yes. that's your choice. That's who you are. You have to pursue that way or, or not. And, you know, you have to find your, you know, we talked about it before. You have to find your own journey through all of this and just be the, the most authentic version of yourself that you could be. I have to, I have to, um, to do this do you have you heard of uh, Yvonne Chouinard he started Patagonia he always he always says to better yeah. understand entrepreneurs you should study juvenile delinquents and I totally yeah. agree with that I totally agree that's very smart but yeah you you literally just you're you're constantly writing your own story yes and you're just exactly. not gonna let someone write it for you even when you have that inkling that they probably know better than I do yeah, it's that stubbornness, that will that just drives you. Even when you're like, this is not a smart decision, you still follow it. <laughs> Do you know what? And I think that's why you, when you reach a certain point, you just need to, if you, if you, you have to go with your instinct, but at the same time, if people follow you on the journey, some people are happy with that and other people need different levels of sort of security or safety. And yeah. so right now, you know, I think at first you have to be full of piss and vinegar and, and a mission and you know building this brand is our obsession you know but yeah. you reach a certain point where you, you have to be receptive to what other people are saying and you have to be a good like being a good listener um as i said based on my background it's really helped me navigate uh, you know taking information learning from other people's mistakes trying to take advice from people that are really um that are really seasoned you may not always follow it but you have to at least understand what your choices are as opposed to just at least that's the way that it's worked for me especially in more recent times just much more conscious of yeah. the whole environment as opposed to saying bollocks i'm just going to do it my way you know there has to be a part of you that's like that but at the same time yeah pressure test it a little bit more absolutely no i am i am definitely going to do it my way but i want to also do it my way with people that I know that are can like run circles around me and my skill sets yeah I want them involved because I need that and and thankfully for me like I didn't create the witty group to create this network for myself Mm. of like support and ideation but that's what it's evolved into because I created the network to build that for others but the ROI for me is that now I have that and I've got yeah. this massive think tank of 
powerhouse brains that Mm. I admire and trust. And we all have very different skill sets. And now I have this massive, like, group that I can bounce ideas off of. And I'm like, hey, I'm coming up with this. What do you guys think? And they're like, I would consider it this way. And I'm like, oh, thank God I have a barometer. Because Mm. if I'm left to my own ideas all the time with no one saying, that's not brilliant. I would make a lot more errors than I make. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. So it's the way you're you're right. Because I never like learned from others' mistakes when they would tell me about them. I learned from my own by doing them, even though I knew I probably shouldn't do it. I had to learn the hard way. Mm. But learning the hard way is also my springboard. Yeah. No, totally. For what to not screw up again. (laughs) Yeah. I just try to make a real effort into surrounding myself with really first of all kind generous people I think that's Mm -hmm. people that are just that love you anyway or want to see you be successful and I don't spend much time or I don't spend any time actually on negativity I think it's a complete waste of time so you know you you want to have people around you that that also don't don't think that way there's there's solutions but they but they come at things only with with a good heart and um Mm-hmm. And and not a short term view on things, you know. People that are yeah. that think long term and and love you, as I said, love you anyway. So that's yeah, what I do. Absolutely. Yeah. But I so this is so <laughs> rich, though, But I gotta ask because it, it's it's like a question that's playing me. You tasted over two hundred different mm. olives from around the world. What number did you go back to for your selection? Yeah. It was actually really. A, yeah, it was really early on. We st- we went to Greece quite early. Um, but just to be clear, you know, there was a lot of varieties of olives of that would have been good in cocktails, we think. It was just, it's, so think about it like this. There, there's about 7 million families globally that make some sort of living from olives. So some tend their great-grandfather's trees at the weekend. Others, um, you know, have hundreds and hundreds of acres. So it was really about finding a family that was mad enough mm. to agree to naturally cure the yeah. olives as opposed to using chemicals. So that, that was the thing. It was, you know, and that well, took a, a lot of heavy lifting to even market. convince somebody to do that because think about it like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's much more expensive. It takes four months as opposed to a few days. And the industry, the olive industry in general, is very commoditized. You know, 90% of the world's olives go into making olive oil, um, mm-hmm. It's a very, very commoditized business. It's one of the world's most harvested fruit. So to say to a company, we want to naturally cure them as opposed to using chemicals, they were like, sure, you're an American company. Um, <laughs> yeah, how many yeah. containers are you going to order? You know, 50 containers, 100 containers. And we're like, um, you know, can we, get, can we get four barrels? Can we get four barrels, right? So there's like 14,000 olives in a barrel. So we got four barrels of olives and we came to the, back to the States with four barrels of naturally cured olives and so you know all the way through um it it, it wasn't that it was um easy or not easy there was something that was right for us or wrong for us and doing it that way was right for us and you know like I said it's always been trying to do things the right way no matter the cost of it and um and then convincing other people that to do it and you know we had a few orzos one night and Fusos and um, I had a bit of an arm resting session, and it was like, okay, we'll give you four barrels. And we took them, came back to the stage yeah. with them, and, and then went bar to bar, and people liked them. Now and we you were have able a to go back concept. and, and uh, make more. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, we're sort of, we, we went into our first bar at the end of 2009. We officially launched at Nightclub and Bar in May, or what, March 2010, I think it was, or February or March, I can't remember, whenever Nightclub Bar was back then, March 2010, I think it was. And then, as I said, we were still delivering it out of our cars for till the end of 2012, uh, when we picked up our first liquor distributor here in South Florida. I was delivering like close to 6,000 cases out of the back of Kim, wow. Kim's minivan, my wife's minivan. And um, and uh, then, uh, you know, uh, somebody at, uh, at the time, it was um, mm-hmm. Premier Beverage, uh, a guy called Nick Doyle. He says, I see your product all over the place. How, how, who's distributing you? And I said, I'm delivering it out of, out of a minivan. And he said, what? I see your stuff everywhere. I said, yeah, and I'm, I'm delivering exhausted. it out of the back of the minivan. <laughs> and he said, we'd like to be your distributor. No, do you know what? You don't yeah. spend any time on that. You just, that's what you've got to do, right? So, so I was just like, yeah. And, and so they brought us into, um, they brought us into to Premier Beverage and uh, we scaled and it was great. And that was the beginning of, of this this real journey that for us having a proper business in that sense. Fascinating because now you're dealing with commodity pricing on the other side, right? Where when you're selling into accounts, you're coming in at a much higher price point because yeah. the quality is different. So you're selling a completely different really actually not. You know, you'll be amazed. No, it's not. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Like we we're here in Miami, so everything comes into the port of Miami. Um, nobody manufactures anything in Florida anymore. Very few manufacturers. No, nobody really, nobody in our industry. So you're going to see a lot of buildings that are very wide with lots of doors for distribution, mm-hmm. but not a lot of manufacturing facilities. So all the trucks would come down to Florida full. They would distribute their goods, and then they'd leave Florida, South Florida, empty. So we just put all of our stuff on those empty trucks and Smart. we pass the savings on to our partners. So we have all of the garnish business at mm. Carnival Cruise Lines, as an example, or Darden Restaurant Group, or obviously companies with huge buying power. And they've all made the choice to increase the quality. And they're not, it's not costing them any more money if they were buying you know, big gallons of shitty stuff. And then when they factor in the waste that they're getting out of those yeah. gallons... Uh, based on brine turning rancid and and just all of that sort of stuff, um, no, it's 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 great value. So we're in beautiful bars, but we're also in you know dive bars and casual dining and hotels and all sorts of different um, yeah types of venues. It's not just people that oh, are charging no, twenty I know bucks you're for a cocktail. It's, um, you know we're we're I, everywhere. I had just and forgive my lack of knowledge on the subject. I had just made that assumption because I like you said yeah. commodity pricing and when i was selling premium coffee i was dealing with commodity yeah. pricing and people would ask for commodity pricing on a premium product and i'm like eh, it doesn't work that way <laughs> like i can only do so much before the bean counters literally bean counters mm. and coffee say no yeah you know i only have so much leverage <laughs> and room to to give you um but that's fascinating. Yeah. So is it because we yeah. don't have big overheads? Yeah, we don't have big overheads. You know, it's not like um, it's not like you know our production facilities yeah. covered in marble. Yeah. People, we, uh, this is the thing. When, when you when you're your most authentic self, yeah. you don't have to pretend to be anybody else. You know, so when we first moved into this building, it really looked like Fight Club. You know, like literally there was there was you know it was an old print company, and so there was 
you know, ink all over the yeah. floor and, and, you know, we built this out and we, you know, my desk was a door, a door and an A-frame and my brother's was a, a, an old door and an A-frame. And we didn't need to pretend to be anybody anybody yeah. else. We didn't need to create a facade and bring in everybody. And we had buyers from, from, you know, really big companies, really reputable companies that would come in and they'd look around and they weren't, they appreciated the scrappiness. They were like, okay. And they, we walked into the production facility yeah. and we spent all the money on. Well, that's where you should be investing so your money, outside, right? In the product, you know, the not offices. the facade. Yeah. Exactly. 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 And we just kept our overheads down. And like I said, um, yeah. you know, people gave us a shot. This, this business is a, is a, a, a so many examples mm-hmm. of people being kind to us that didn't need to be, you know, and I think of, buyers that chose to bring our products in you know we were shipping to people all over the country before we had distribution and it wasn't the way they would normally get in the product you know they normally press the button or spoke to their salesperson would get the product on the truck the next day but they gave they said okay that's the way you guys do it okay we'll do it because they wanted to give their guests a better experience and if you start from that place like it's about the guest experience then all of the rest of the stuff is just it's just bollocks it's just no, if we can give the guests a better experience and it's not going to cost us more money and we like dealing with you guys and you always do what yeah. you say you're going to do, we'll give you a shot. And, and that's how we've grown. And like I said, there's so many people that have been so, so kind to us. Yeah. And that's how we've been able oh, to, to build amazing. the business. So is your shelf stability on your products longer than like for the Allas, for example, instead of using that quick solve problem to where the brine turns are yours Mm. longer because it's not in that solution yeah it's where do you compromise right so so the memory of the fruit the memory of anything is is developed through fermentation you can't start with stuff that's you know crappy and then make it magical through fermentation you have you know so we start with really beautiful fruit we ferment it in a way that's like I said, just salt and water. So at that point, the fruit is really gorgeous. And then we bring everything over here and then we pack everything and then it goes into our finishing brine. So the finishing brine is really about creating an ecosystem that can preserve the fruit for your route to market. So in our world, we go into liquor distributors and on liquor trucks, so um, primarily. And so temperature control, being in warehouses, it has to have a shelf life where people are not going to be concerned about it. So we use preservatives in a lot of our uh, products just to basically give us a shelf life for their route to market. You don't get any of that flavor. It's a great question. So the, the, the fermentation of, of I'm the, just asking yeah, no, no, it is because it is <laughs> because we don't use preservatives or, or chemicals during fermentation. So that's preserved. And then we're just preserving that. But I think I've set a goal for the company. So our shelf life, mm-hmm. let's say in PET, which is how we go into bars, um, it's 14 months. And then in glass, it's 24 months uh, because glass doesn't let oxygen. It's a stronger oxygen barrier. So you get better shelf life. Um, but basically, no, oh, yeah. normally everybody goes through it within that time period. But I've set a goal for the company for us to be completely natural within the next three years. So to look at how we can move away from preservatives um, but then we'd have to explore the route to market and making sure that, yeah. you know, people get as long a shelf life as they need to operate. It That's a part. very interesting proposition so, yeah. in and of itself. 
Yeah, yeah, you can't think in isolation, right? You have to understand other things, route to market, um, handling at the bar, you know. Um, we, you know, once people open the olives, we say that you can use them for longer, but we say consume within six weeks because we can't control dirty bar spoons or hands yeah. or anything going inside the olive jars, which adds secondary fermentation. So, you know, like I said, we give you everything in the most beautiful way that, that it can be and to give the guests the best experience. So. We've well, got it down to a fine art. It's, uh, it, I'm I glad mean, you it's think so. I mean, you had to learn a lot going into this, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and you do, and you listen, and, and like you said, you shouldn't be afraid to mm. fail. I mean, we fucked up a lot at the beginning um, when we were small, and I think that's the time to do that. You can't worry about that. And, and it, as long as you apologize to people or you're honest with people, yeah, that's true. Then they'll forgive you, you know? Uh, and, and and now we, we're at a point where, you know, you just get better and better. And, and uh, so now, you know, people are not worried about that with us. They, they can rely on us and yeah. order our stuff. And it always comes in the same way. And, yeah. and we can be a real partner in the space. So it's My cool. My goodness. So cool. how, I, I'm just curious, like, it, it, it's had to have been pretty expensive to start this endeavor with the research and the years that went into this. Did you take out funding as a small business or like how did, and because when you start mm. something as an entrepreneur, you don't start with giving yourself a salary typically. So how did that work for no, you? No, we, uh, no, we didn't give ourselves a salary for years. I had, I had mm -hmm. scaled a business yeah. prior and sold it. Um, and so okay. that gave us a sort of a baseline. Um, uh, the, the other thing is, I think we have to realize there's money, but there's time, you know, you're never going to get any time back. So if you're going to say yes to something, or are you going to oh, spend yeah. the time? That's the most expensive thing you're going to spend is, is your time on anything. So I don't waste time. I'm really conscious about that. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to, I try to instill that into the kids. You know, it's like, I'm not saying we shouldn't have leisure time or do stuff. We're not thinking about stuff, but I'm, but don't waste time. So I think we were just really conscious of how we were spending our time and trying to be really productive. So I'd scaled a business, sold it, had a bit of money. Mark and I went on this journey and, um, yeah. and then brought all of our expenses down, you know, and, and um, ate big, big baked beans out of a tin for a long time. And luckily I have a, a really strong wife and, and great Supported kids the that vision, yeah. um, weren't overly, yeah, yeah, and, and didn't need stuff to feel loved. Just needed me to say that I love them. It wasn't about buying a lot of stuff or pissing money away. It was, it was like, yeah. no, we're all in this together. And you think having a family would make you more risk averse, but the complete opposite. I felt very supported and very strong because everybody was like, "Yeah, go yeah. for it. This is this is what you're supposed to be doing." And, that's and that's actually really quite beautiful you know? because that is that is one of the things that holds people back. From pursuing what they want is that fear of not getting what they already have or sustaining it so that speaks volumes about the, right. the level of support yeah. in in your family circle and that's huge and Definitely. We, we all can't we, we can't do this without the yeah. support of our network whether that's your friends or your colleagues or your family no it doesn't matter who they are you have to have some kind of support system that helps you through the process because otherwise how, how do you get through the downsides because they are they exist and we all have them um but it's it's greater to celebrate the oh, wins 100%. with the people that helped you when 
you felt like you weren't winning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you celebrate wins? Oh, God, yeah. Do you? I don't care how small they are. <laughs> yeah, that's something oh, I've God, got to learn. No, you have I just to keep stop moving, and you celebrate know? the um, wins. You have I, to create yeah. that, that no, I have to learn that. that goes into yeah. your subconscious so that when you reach a, a, a turning point or you mm. hit a pinnacle or a goal, you have to stop for one second and just recognize that because otherwise you're never winning. You're just constantly pushing towards what's next. And then you don't have the value of appreciating what's there. So it's very much like it's it's a live in the moment kind of thing because mm. as entrepreneurs, we're always looking for what's next. But if you don't celebrate the little victories along the way, you're not going to see anything but your hurdles. And you're not going to recognize that you managed to jump over them. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I think I have a natural visceral reaction to a win. Like I, it's like scoring a goal or something like, mm-hmm. I, you know, you sort of punch the air or you you know, you're, you're like, oh, I have this release of energy. And then I'm like, oh, no. okay. I have that too. I'm immediately like, yeah, sweet, but, you know. that happened. What's next? But it's it's like taking that time yeah. and like, yeah. hey guys, yeah. we're all going out to dinner. This was a big day. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's the yeah. little ones. Like, yeah. when the victory yeah, yeah. pops into your day amidst the to-do list that's getting checked off, that is a big day. And so I, I live for those little mm. victories. They don't have to be yeah. huge. I mean, it could just be something very small. But every single one of mm. them, I celebrate. Whether or not my family recognizes it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's super interesting. It's all down around to, like, whether you feel successful. I think, like I said, I'm based on, yeah. you know, just my own makeup. I think I'll... I'll um, never feel successful. Yeah. It's the truth. So you have, That's you have it. We call that imposter. Right? So yeah. I'm always going to be like, do you know what? I don't feel like an imposter. I just don't feel finished. And I don't feel like success is a destination. Like I feel like I'm just, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah. I always have stuff to do. And I think that's what ultimately makes you feel like you can build something big. It's, it's until you're in like, until Phil is in every bar, restaurant, hotel, liquor store yeah. on the planet i i'm not i'm not done because i know because i know we i know we're yeah. better and i know we we can contribute to the story bartenders are telling with their drinks so why shouldn't we be part of that if it means giving the guests a better experience and until we're part of that story and people aren't serving big gallons of shitty olives yeah. or putting dessert cherries in their drinks i'm not done so until i'm done i'm not done and that's my energy towards it i'm like i'm constantly in pursuit of and it's not like I'm, I, I find joy in all of it. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't find it. Yeah. It's not, not joyful. I love it, yeah. but I, but I'm constantly moving because, because I have to, because it's, it's not fair that someone's paying a lot of money for a drink and they're putting no, a, you, an olive in it. That's not good. Yeah. It's no, you're fair. on a it's personal not, journey. Not, it's not right. For sure. And I, I agree with you completely. And I think that would, uh, oh, yeah. most, yeah. most entrepreneurs stumbled over that word. Um, can relate to the fact that success isn't a destination. It's an ever-moving target. As long as you keep it in front of you, you'll keep moving forward. The second you reach something, you're like, okay, good. I'm good now. Yeah. Ah, well, that's not the entrepreneurial spirit. You're never good. Mm. You're always reaching. Nothing is ever yeah. quite good enough. 
I so I'm constantly trying to balance like yes, celebrate the wins, pe- but always look forward. Look where we're going. Like, are we still on the path? Are we still hitting our stride? Like, where where can we be better? Where can we be improving? I just think, do I do I love it? Like mm-hmm. people say to me, are you building filthy to sell it? Are you, do you want to sell the brand? And I'm yeah. like, why would I want to sell something that I find joy in? If there's a day that I don't find joy in it, then maybe yeah. I want to do something else. I have another chapter. But this is, I, I love, I love what we're doing. I love, yeah. I love all it all the way through. I love people seeing people's yeah. faces the first time they try the cherry, and they're just so happy. And and or or so why wouldn't I want way. to keep doing that? And it's I'm, not about, I'm working because you know, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Not about the, yeah. The no. Yeah, I do love it. Yeah. And I love the people that I get to interact with. You know, I, I love the Don't people in our industry. It. I love the people in hospitality. Uh-huh. They're incredibly no. kind, generous human beings. No, why would I? I love it. So, I don't know. So, I've sat in the entrepreneur no. conferences where they're like, what is your exit strategy? And I'm like, am I the moron in the room that doesn't have one? Because I literally want to die doing mm. this. Like, I think that'll be good. That'll be good yeah. for me. I don't have yeah, a I'm desire to retire. I have the freedom that I require as a human in my nature. But this is what I want to do. I'm not doing this yeah. for a paycheck. I'm doing this because I love it. And I don't want to do anything else. Mm. I just want to keep yeah. diversifying what I do and do more of it. That's you know- all. So, no, I don't have an exit strategy. <laughs> like, no. Like, no. I'm with you. It's interesting, like having three little kids, like they're trying to find the balance and, and, um, cause you know, I balance is something that I sort of struggle with. I'm very present where I am. So it's not like I'm working all the time and then coming home and then disappearing to, to, to play golf or do something else. I'm, when I'm home, I, I'm not on the phone. I'm super present. I, mm-hmm. so it's more quality than quantity for me, but I think at some I point maybe quantity. I would like to yeah. be more involved as the kids get a bit older and, yeah, yeah, have more quantity, just be more available. For, well, right for now, we probably have, you way. probably have a surplus um, so maybe of that's quantity an time right now, don't you? What did I want to be when I grew up? You know, my dad was an entrepreneur, and my dad was my hero. So, in a way, I sort of looked at him and, and, um, and sort of, you know, he started out a very poor family, um, he he lost his brother when he was very young and and so then felt the um, need to be too he's good enough for two kids so he always had a great work ethic was always very entrepreneurial and so I sort of always I think wanted to be an entrepreneur and he encouraged he knew I wasn't very good at school or struggled yeah. nobody really had talked about dyslexia at that stage I'm 40 48 so it was just mm. like you know he's not good at reading or something and so he sort of always would encourage me to you know wasn't lemonade stands but it was other things to sort of be entrepreneurial so I think I always wanted to be an entrepreneur well I I did um and then like I said at one point I I um I wanted to be an actor and I loved doing theatre I think theatre is so important Mm -hmm. human people you know humans connecting and telling stories and sharing feelings in that in that sort of way you know you being able to to better understand life through the stories Mm -hmm. that that the that good actors are telling you. That's why we love watching films and we have, it's not just escapism. It's not just about, you know, having a, a disconnection from your life. Sometimes it's about better understanding it. So I felt it was really, I really loved doing that. But as I said, now I get to be creative and sometimes you're lucky enough to stand up in front of people mm-hmm. and 
stage and, and have a platform to tell the story. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm 100% doing what That's I'm doing. Fantastic. Um, you know, 100%. people live their whole lives for that and don't get a glimmer of that feeling. And I think it's, it's really beautiful. And you've clearly it takes a lot of support mm. along the way. So you've had a, a good network around you to yeah. help you go through this. Um, but was there ever a time where, I don't know if you were just like, you had some self-doubt or misdirection or you just kind of didn't know where your path was leading you um, or any regrets, anything that you mm. learned so much from that you would do it differently if given the choice again? Yeah. Well, do you know what? I started at home, you know, and but nobody's at my office at the moment. Everyone comes into production just a couple of days a week. I was fortunate enough to be on the uh, the mayor here in Miami, I'm on the task force for manufacturers. So we sort of put together a, um, a way of operating your business uh, within the environment of COVID and being a, you know, a, a food manufacturing facility. Anyway, we have a lot of the safety measures in place. Everybody wears gloves and masks and goes through sanitary, um, you know, mm -hmm. their feet go through these fat sanitary, um, uh, chemical um, sanitizer pads anyway so they don't bring any bacteria around so we already had a lot of those things in place so we're in a couple of days a week but I have actually for the last month been coming to the office every day and just yeah. sort of being here and then coming home at night and cooking and and getting involved in family stuff because you know for the first month I was good yeah. and and then it, I just wasn't productive and you know it, you know everyone was pulling right. off the wi-fi and i would yeah. jump i would sort of fall out of zoom calls and stuff so no i, I have to get I into the office that. so I mean, yeah exactly Fortnite takes a lot of uh data <laughs> and download speeds and it sucks my office dry. Yeah. and i'm like i've never had connectivity <laughs> exactly. issues at home until this awesome yeah it's it, it you just exactly. you deal the hands exactly. you're dealt right you just work through it and figure out a solution to the to yeah. the challenges um and i think everybody's facing that everybody who's tasked with working remotely if they're lucky enough to still be working it's a different set of challenges um mm. but and i know you told me earlier that yeah. if you weren't doing this there's really nothing else you would be doing this is the dream and and you've reiterated that throughout our conversation like this is where your yeah. passion lies. But Definitely. so I, I'm going to ask the question in a different yeah. way and throw you a little bit of a curveball. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid? Well, self-doubt self is, is an interesting thing, right? I think you have to mm -hmm. acknowledge it and then you have to address it. So I don't ignore it and I don't, um, I don't succumb to it. You know, pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice. So in the sort of thinking through and the doubts, I don't suffer I dress it and then I, I, I attack it um, in that way. So self-doubt, you know, there's constant doubts. And I think in a leadership role, when you mm -hmm. run a company, it's very isolating is, is yeah. the truth, you, you know, right? I mean, you probably feel it as well. You, you feel sometimes, you know, you're, you're isolated and you have to be, be in lead in, you know, present mm -hmm. or, or lead all of, all of the time. So I don't, I got to tell you, I don't have, I don't have a single regret. And I, all the fuck-ups, I own them all. All the late nights, all the early mornings, I own yeah. it all. I own it all, you know? So I'm, I, was never, I was never afraid to, um, 
I, I never really gave a shit what people thought is the truth. And as I've got older, <laughs> I really thought about that. And I was like, why don't you care what people think? And it's because it's because it doesn't cost them anything. Oh, wow. So why should I put a value oh on it? Oh, my God. Right? You're so dropping do, major pearls of wisdom right, right now. What There's I, the pain and suffering. And wow. Okay. I, it just, it honestly, well, that one, yeah, that one was Buddha, I think. Pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice. But the other one's me. But, um, but I think, like, for me, um, mm-hmm. I do care deeply about how people feel, not what they think, how they feel. So I'm very conscious about how people feel around me and whether I contribute to relationships, yeah. whether I'm a positive influence in people's lives. And so I'm very conscious about how people feel. And so, but I don't regret anything. Awesome. Oh, I own it all. That's 100%. a great answer. You win. You win the question. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I, I really, <laughs> I love the the you you just dropped some major major thought into that answer and it was just yeah those two things I think you've you've taught me something you've given me a perspective shift as well because we all have pain in our lives but you're right we can choose whether or not we suffer from yeah. that pain like you either turn it into something yeah, to help exactly. you forward out of I it like... or you wallow in it, which doesn't do anything for you. Just mm. causes more. Yeah. It's it's that negativity thing again. It's like negativity is absolutely useless in any form. It's just totally useless. So yeah. so why absolutely. why subscribe to it? You know? And and um I think what's been super interesting at this time is, you know, there's a lot of people that we love that are in our industry that are furloughed or have Mm -hmm. lost their jobs and they're amazing humans, right? They're really amazing humans. So it's that whole thing around, like I said, the whole self-worth thing and needing other people to define your own uh, worth or your own value. And, and it's really interesting. Like, you know, I've got two daughters um, my, you know, when my dad left when I was sort of 13 and my brothers went with him and, and I was raised by my mom and, and I had a younger sister. I'm very sort of conscious about how, how people feel and, um, and how they find self-worth. And, and I think you reach a point in your life where you just, you just don't need it. Yeah. Look, you have to own it all. Like some days we're good and some days we're not good. But yeah. ultimately, we're doing our best, right? We're just doing our best and that should be enough. And some days people will recognize it and some days yeah, exactly. they won't. You can't that's take that on. To do with you. Yeah. That's got everything to do with them, right? So, no, yeah. I, I don't. I really, really don't. I really don't. And I think that's helped yeah. me sort of stay positive um, and continue to try to be, be positive. You are very you know, positive, I, I, though. I enjoy, I I enjoy to bring listening out. to you and hearing your thoughts. And, and the way... Eh, that's my that's accent. accent. That's just my accent. I that's, like the way you think. I like the way that you've chosen to evolve your not only yourself but your perception of how the world works. It's a very it's fascinating and it's really really uplifting and positive and I, I yeah, absolutely. I'm not blowing oh, smoke. I like I believe this. Um so here's my here's my totally random question that dives into the character of the person that I'm talking to a little mm. bit deeper, and it's a hard one. Um, what would you want the people yeah. listening to know about you? Uh, 
one that I'm really approachable. I think you know people can get hold of me if they want to. You know, I'm 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 I like chatting with people. I like um, so number one, I'm approachable. I think number two, you know, I I I'm very proud of. I'm on the honorary board of Whoa. the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, which is. Um, which is, which is a charity that was started by His Royal Highness Prince Philip in like mm. 1956. He's the Queen's husband. And it was basically, a, it's, a, it's an international recognised programme for young people, which sort of builds their skills, perhaps a lot of kids that don't feel like they're doing very well in school. And so it's a programme to take kids between the ages of 14 and 21 and um, give them the skills and the confidence to become world ready, to sort of be able to go out into society and contribute. And a lot of times the kids mm -hmm. are from, you know, not great environments and they get on into this program. So I think I'm, I would I'm be really too. proud of that. That's I'm huge. really proud to contribute to that, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Award. So I would say um, the website is um, usaward.org. So if people wanted to find more about the Duke of Edinburgh Awards or they feel that there's kids... Uh, in their environment that would benefit from being involved in in that sort of platform um, to, to help develop the skills to, to become ready for the world. That's uh, awesome. That's something I would like people I to know. I love that. So I love that. Definitely that's fantastic. That. Yeah. It's hard when you're a kid and you grow up and you think you're stupid because you can't read stuff. It really, um, and you're not, you know, it really is an interesting yeah thing that you carry around with you and so when you're younger or when I was younger you sort of wanted to prove to everybody that you weren't stupid so I just used to talk a lot um you know show people everything that I knew and now you just you just sort of don't and and there's probably a lot of kids that feel that way because they're not academically inclined and so I think uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Awards is a really worthwhile platform for yeah. kids to to build confidence and get self-worth and develop the skills they need to be successful and contribute. So, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I, love I think that's I love that. just wonderful. Yay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Yay. So you said you're approachable. Yeah, so if people sure. want to learn more um, about you, your products, talk to you, reach out. How do you want people to reach you best? Um, LinkedIn is probably great. I, you know, I've just started really engaging in that. I wasn't particularly a big social media person, but, you know, Facebook, I, I, people reach out to me a lot on Facebook, Daniel Singer or Filthy Daniel. Um, and then LinkedIn, uh, Daniel Singer. And then through filthyfood.com. Uh, people always put an S on the end, yeah. foods, but it's actually filthyfood.com, singular. And uh, yeah, like I said, anybody in the hospitality industry, I'd love to, you know, um, try to support in any way that we can and, awesome. and happy to, to have chats or throw stuff around. I've got, I've, I, I owe this industry everything. And so, um, like I said, thinking of everybody that's out there in between work at yeah. the moment and trying to figure I know. it all I, out. So I know I yeah. feel exactly Sending the same up. way. I'm, I'm glad that you made the distinction because I was one of those people that always pluralized food. And I was like, wait, it's filthy food, mm. not foods. Okay. Got it. Yes. I had to teach myself. Yeah, that. you can call people can say whatever they like, but look yeah. us up on filthy food. Yeah. Yeah. But thank you. And I uh, will I'll put absolutely. But no, um, yeah, no, thank in you. In bio too, so people can just easily click and find you. Um and thank cool. you so much for your time and for sharing your stories. I this has been no, fantastic. really lovely. I truly enjoyed this.
No, I re no, I really enjoyed it. No, thank you so much. Like I said, number one, I think you're doing an amazing job. I listened to Kathy Case's uh, podcast. I love Kathy. She's always been so generous to us and Tony Abaganim and just some great people. And I'm going to go back and try to uh, consume a lot more of them because it's I really enjoyed it. So thank you for everything you're doing. I know. Look Please. forward to seeing oh you in God. person having I'm a couple so, of cocktails. I'm so ready for this. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And thank you for listening um, <laughs> to the episodes. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. No, it's awesome. awesome. Pleasure. Thank you. No, I've enjoyed and it. Thank you all. Take care. For all right. All the best, Christine. Cheers, love. Mixing up the mainstream. <laughs>